Hey everyone, Johnny here. Before we get into this episode, gotta give you a heads up. My audio is not the best. I don't know what happened. I didn't hear it while we were recording, so I'm not sure where my audio went off the rails. But Anna, our guest, Anna McLean, sounds fantastic, and she does most of the talking in this episode, thankfully. Even if my audio was good, thankfully she does most of the talking. So um, this episode is really worth your time and worth checking out because Anna has a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge. She's been freelancing for a really long time, and uh, she is definitely worth your time and attention. So with that, let's get into this episode. Johnny Flores, one of the hosts of the podcast producer's survival handbook. Cody's not with us, but we have a special guest, Anna McLean. The podcast producer's survival handbook is here to help podcast producers, editors, and audio engineers succeed while freelancing. Anna, thanks for being on our podcast today. And you're also our first guest ever. So thank you for wow. that. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here on the other side of the yeah. mic, I guess. <laughs> but getting into a little of your history, did you have a podcast in the past? Is that how you got started or how'd you get going? I have never had a podcast, but I did college radio. So I managed my college radio station and I had a, like a, a music show, but I never had to hear myself back because it was just live. So (laughs) yeah, I never really had to hear my own voice. Were you a DJ also like a a side hustle DJ? Never a side hustle. It was just mostly for fun in school. So, So many people I know that were DJs in high school also worked on their campus radio station. So that's why I asked. Yeah, they probably had a lot more skill going into it than I did. (laughs) (laughs) But so you got into radio? Was that sort of the process into podcast production? Well, in school, I was like a Russian major and a gender studies minor. So totally nothing to do with audio. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, went to a liberal arts school. And um, of course, I think that's the only way you can take either of those classes at a liberal arts. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's very random. But yeah, so I uh, really loved music. I don't know anything about music, but I loved being a consumer of it and a fan. And so yeah, I got involved with the college radio station just for fun and then found an awesome community there and really wanted to be a music director, actually as like a career. (laughs) And so dabbled in that in college and then did some internships at KEXP and then volunteered at Oregon Public Broadcasting. And so then that was 2015 and podcasts were really taking off and yeah, connected with a producer on a music show, a music podcast. And he asked if I wanted to get involved. (laughs) I was kind of like, yes, absolutely. So yeah, my only like audio recording experience in college was I did an oral history project for my Russian program, so interviewing Russian speakers. So dabbled a little bit in the field recording world at that point, but that was about it. Yeah. So do you speak fluent Russian? I used to speak <laughs> decent Russian. <laughs> it's been almost a decade, so yeah, yeah, I haven't been able to practice too much, but um, yeah. I took Spanish all yeah. through high school and don't, don't know any of it. We went to Mexico yeah. City and 2014 and between my girlfriend and I we could get around barely (laughs) yeah right I know it's like but you feel like okay if you spent like six months you'd be like 
right back at it, right? I don't know. <laughs> I, it was like, I was like, I don't remember anything. How, we'd be sitting there, I'm like, what's the verb for, how, what do I change this to? Um, but uh, I love KEXP. I, I listen to that station all the time, especially oh, yeah. YouTube. You must have met so many cool bands and people there. Yeah, yeah. Did it like in studio, like hospitality and then DJ assistant. DJ assisting, I guess you would call it. Um, it was really fun. Yeah. And it was before they moved into Seattle Center. So it was like the old location. And the new location is like amazing, like beautiful. And like the whole live in studio space is just like, oh, it's so cool. So big old studio. Yeah. Our NPR affiliate out here is moving into a bigger facility. They were at the old one at the local. CSU Sacramento, they've been there for decades and they're finally getting downtown Sacramento. Like they're getting this whole big build nice. out. And it's like, I just want to go in there and see the studio. <laughs> right. <laughs> but well, uh, well, getting to the point of the podcast is all about providing freelancers, producers, editors, audio engineers, as I said at the beginning, with, with some tangible real world experience and knowledge, because as we both know, it's very hard freelancing. And when you're first starting off, you struggle so much with just like, who am I? Who are my clients? What do I charge? How much should I be working? You know, all, all of that stuff. If you were to start over, what is something you wish you knew then that you know now and like have down solid? Yeah, that's a great question. I really got into this world in 2015 when things were really taking off more in the podcast world. It was becoming a bit more of a mainstream. But I really wish I had had or knew about resources like this podcast or, you know, I, I don't even know if anything really existed at that point. I'm sure there were, you know, niche resources out there, but I was really self-taught. And I think that was something that I felt sort of eager about. Like I felt like I could try out any job and wear any hat at that point and learn new skills. But as I got deeper, I also felt like, you know, that imposter syndrome. And like, I think at this point, especially working with earlier career producers and being a mentor, like, you just really want to tell them, like, it's okay, you have time to learn. And you also have so many skills and that like early career, I don't know if eagerness is the right word, but like motivation is actually so valuable to people as well. And then also just like balancing my personal investment in the work with the sort of professional piece, yeah. treating it like a job. I think when you're in any creative role, and I would definitely say production is a creative world, it's easy to put a lot of yourself in it and like devote a lot of yourself to it and, and take things on that maybe other jobs you're not taking on that, that level of, you know, that level of investment. And I think that investment is, is important, but I think now I, I just have such a better balance with when to let things go and yeah. when to hold on to things. Yeah. I used to get so like hurt when I put a proposal together and send it off and everyone seemed eager. And then they're like, now it's not the right time or we don't have the budget for this or whatever mm -hmm. the excuse was. I would get really just like hurt by that, just be down for like a day or two. And now I'm much better at, so I guess I have a callus over that now where I'm just like, <laughs> eh, I get it. I understand. Not a big deal. 
it's a lot of money to spend or I come at it a different approach. Like, do you want to talk again in a couple months or something? Yeah. You know, I always leave it on a good note. Not that I ever responded negatively to the potential <laughs> client, but I internally, I took it as a front to me, not mm-hmm. to the business. Yeah, yeah. The reality is it is about the bottom line for a lot of clients yeah. and someone might be really excited about the project, but it doesn't always manifest. And yeah, I definitely feel that. But yeah, as you mentioned, you never know when those connections will sort of turn into something else or, you know, it's always important to keep those connections yeah. for sure. Yeah. So what was the thing that got you over your imposter syndrome? Was it just like one incident or was it several things and you slowly started to realize, oh, I'm I'm actually really good at this and there's a reason why people hire me and I see the value in the services I offer and the pricing around that? I mean, there are definitely some moments that were a bit of an epiphany for me, but I think it's been something I've relearned over and over and over again, probably with every project to some extent, <laughs> because every project is so different. And yeah, I think the times when I have raised my rate and it has been met with acceptance or positivity, that has been a huge deal. Like I think we can't undervalue that kind of response. But also, just to go back a little bit, I worked independently for a long time with clients who didn't have any experience in podcasting. So I wasn't working with like a production company, or right? I felt like I didn't necessarily have that like traditional experience of working with a bigger production company or a, a creative agency. And when I finally did have those experiences after managing bigger projects, I felt like, okay, like seeing how these companies are doing it, I felt like I have a very bespoke approach. I have a, a very specific approach and I felt really yeah, encouraged by seeing how, not that those processes were bad or wrong or anything. It was just sort of an affirmation of, oh, I have been doing this like this, or I have been using yeah. these tools correctly or, you know, so. That's always a nice feeling when you go into something else and you see how their productions run and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I, yeah, that's a good way to get over imposter syndrome. You're like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And working again with like younger producers or being a mentor has really helped me see it from a different angle where when you are working with like younger people or early career producers, you want to just encourage them to move through that themselves. So it's sort of like a lesson for your own approach, I guess, to be like, okay, it's not serving you and, and you do have the skills and there's a reason people keep working with you. And Is that something you do a lot is like mentorship or... Do you like that aspect of being a seasoned producer? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love it. I, of course, always have a lot to learn, so I wouldn't put myself on some pedestal. But I think the I have done a few mentorships, and I also have been lucky enough to work on projects where I've gotten to build teams and work with production assistants and younger producers. And I really do not take that relationship lightly. <laughs> I had one amazing mentor when I first sort of started out, not a podcast person, but just someone who took me seriously and tried to make my experience working with their organization really fruitful and invaluable. And that meant so much to me. And then I had people who were not necessarily thinking that way or treating me (laughs) that way. And, you know, we've all had exploitative work experiences. And so I try to be very mindful of 
of that, you want to pay it forward a little bit. And I really do believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. So if producers are empowered, like younger producers, it's better for everyone. Yeah. If they're shown how to do things in a non-toxic, helpful, supportive team, being strong as an individual, Mm -hmm. but also supporting the team, it's going to make when they move up into like our positions and they become more experienced and senior, they've been shown like, oh, this is how you can create a healthy work environment Mm -hmm. and not just keep on. I I remember, (laughs) so I got a certificate in um, TV, radio and film production. And there was a kid in the class, young guy. This this was just like a couple years ago, right before the pandemic, actually. And um, we were supposed to do like two shots and wide shots, just getting experience filming things. And mm-hmm. someone had to act as a director, someone had to act as a producer, and then the other two people on the team were the actors or whatever. And you're just reading lines from a scene, basically. And the guy who was the director, this this kid, and I think he had seen probably too much like 70s cinema where you hear these stories about directors just yelling and being assholes and oh, just being jerks, you know? <laughs> and that's how he started yelling. He was like talking to the other students this way. And I was by far one of the oldest people in the class. So after he had done a scene, I, I walked over and was like, Hey man, can I talk to you just for like a second? He's like, sure. I go, if that's how you treat people, like your staff under you, especially as like you, as the director, the team leader, the executive producer, you're going to get a horrible reputation. No one's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. And when the time comes, when someone asks them to recommend like, Hey, I know you worked on so with so-and-so on this production they're going to say very negative things about you. And as stuff, as your career moves along, you're going to see opportunities dwindle and dwindle and dwindle mm-hmm. because no one's going to want to work with you. And um, totally, he's like, oh, thanks. I didn't think of it that way. I was like, yeah, just be nice. <laughs> just treat people nice, man. And just be cool. And you'll get way more work out of it. Other people yeah. that way. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's a lot of ego wrapped up in like creative production. And I think, what I love about the podcasting world is there are so many nice people and like, it's such a nice community overall. And I think people do see others as like collaborators and not competition as much, yeah. which I find very valuable, but yeah, the reality is too, like there are people who are not the nicest to work with, but that word of mouth, as you mentioned, like that has been key for me in finding opportunities, especially as like a solo producer um, like yeah f- having word of having positive word of mouth recommendations has been huge so i i think that is yeah super key yeah word of mouth is very important in this line of work so kind of keeping in line with that what are your strategies for finding clients or like, do you go to networking events is it word of mouth do you do any advertising anything like that like what's your like just dialed in this usually works for me on finding clients and and getting clients. I used to do a lot more networking and going to networking events, especially (laughs) pre-pandemic and going to conferences and things like that. And I think that was an important phase of my career, especially early on and, you know, working remotely as I have done my entire career and working from home, you know, you can feel isolated. So I think that is important to build that network And meet people, you know, I mean, that's how we met, which is awesome. Yeah, I got to a point a little bit later where I felt I had built sort of an in-person network. 
And I was weighing sort of the value of going to a lot of conferences where I still think there is value in that. And I am eager to get back to that in some ways. Um, getting to a later point in my career where I felt maybe I would rather go and, and be a speaker or be, you know, like yeah. find a different like type of value from that. I guess <laughs> this isn't the most <laughs> amazingly actionable piece of advice, but that word of mouth is truly how I have gotten probably 90% of my opportunities. It is a small world and connecting with a lot of people, throwing a lot of connections out there, those connections can come back in sort of interesting ways. I would say cold emails have never worked for me as far as like, you know, I'm a podcast producer. I think your brand could make an amazing podcast, like that kind of thing. I'm sure it's worked for some people, but it really has not worked for me and I really don't do it at all. But I think informational interviews with people who do jobs that like, or have a role that you really respect and want to do more of, those are the connections that are really fruitful. You're not asking them for anything specifically. You're introducing yourself, you're, you're sharing, being very clear about what you offer. And often producers will pass on roles that they get offered and might recommend you for it, you know, for whatever reason. So I think that's also very important. Um, one that's been really helpful for just seeing what kind of jobs are even out there, whether they're jobs you go out for or not, is Air Media um, Association of Independence and Radio, I think is the acronym. That's been a great one. And then there are, you know, a few listservs for like women in radio or podcasting that I'm a part of that have been really supportive. So yeah, again, just like sometimes those intangible connections, like they really do pay off in the long run. And it's not, you know, like the most exciting answer, but that has been definitely the key it's, to opportunities. We said this in an episode recently where it's like you're planting all those seeds. Not everything's going to be fruitful, but some stuff will be. And just getting out there, getting your name out there, having people be aware that you're, you know, what you do, really dialing in on who you serve helps a lot like i i like Absolutely. to work with small to medium-sized businesses and like professional associations for whatever reason that's that's my niche i can really dial in on like here's what i can do for you if there's some budget constraints for this package i'll help your team learn some of these skills and then i'll do the rest you know just like really dialing in i think helps figuring out Super who your, your customers are because that's what they yeah. are i mean it's like Podcasting is kind of a metaphor for producing podcasts and that like a niche is so important yep. when you're making a show and it's equally as important when you're putting your services out there, attracting clients and yeah. And like knowing your audience, like you said, I think a huge part of my approach to all of my work, whether it's like finding clients or making the show is like this more empathetic take on things where, especially with clients, like putting yourself in their shoes, like what kind of value are they looking for? What kind of skills do they have? And do they not necessarily have and need help with and sort of tailoring yourself to that? I think that is huge. You know, I, I recently met with one of the people behind the visit California tourism organization, the destination marketing organization, but mm -hmm. they have a podcast and, and I just wanted to talk to him and say, hi, I, couple of my clients work in tourism and I had approached them with like, I'm not trying to take your podcast over or anything like that. Like 
your production is way too big for me. Your on-air talent, your host is down in L.A. I know you guys are spread out all over the state. That's not my cup of tea. What I want to pitch is why don't you have all the different cities and counties in California that have podcasts have a landing page on your bigger website Mm -hmm. so that they can – because you can't really dial in on a specific area. You just sort of do a broad look at a region on episodes. So this way you're supporting them and they're supporting you. And uh, he was like, that's great. Like I, we didn't even think about that. And that was the approach I took of just like, I'm not trying to do, I'm not trying to pilfer anybody's business. I don't want your business. I just want to pitch an idea. Yeah. That's led to a couple other little things where they're like, Hey, you know, we have some extra work in the future. We've got your contact information. We'll definitely be reaching out. You know, it was like knowing this project is not right for me, Mm -hmm. but I just want to say hello and talk to you. Like that's, Something I didn't know about in the beginning. I would just, I was like a dog chasing a car. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't, I just thought, oh yeah, I could do this. <laughs> I remember the first time I got to say no to a project, I was like rejoicing, you know, because yeah, it's just very exciting to tailor your work to what you value and what you enjoy doing. Yeah, same. I, it was a uh, company that makes, they had a big warehouse, giant. This thing was like two Costco's glued together. They made props and stuff for like stage, big events, concerts, big like award ceremony stuff. They made these and they wanted a podcast because they were trying to go after more wedding, Mm. weddings and stuff (laughs) like that just just to like supplement when there wasn't big events. And when I went in there and walked around, I was like, you guys don't need a podcast. What you need is video. Like you need to show off all the stuff you do in here. Like they had this giant ice 3D ice carving machine. They had these like just crazy props everywhere. I was like, this is a podcast is not right for you guys. Mm-hmm. If I was unscrupulous, I could have definitely been like, yeah, let's do a podcast. Yeah. It's gonna, you know, I pushed it, but I was like, no, I'm not comfortable with that. Me as a, my morality, I'm not comfortable with doing that. And also they would be so unhappy yeah, with exactly. the outcome that, now I would have that reputation of like, don't work with him. He just took our money. Yeah. And I think that's really a great point because there have been times in a world where podcasts are becoming more and more mainstream and we're all kind of trying to push that awareness piece and the value that a podcast can bring. I think it's so important to be able to say when like, no, this is not right. Or not to say absolutely not, but like be very realistic about how much work goes into it and what the actual cost might be. Whether it's sustainable for the client is super important because, you know, it's a very exciting prospect for a lot of people, but there is a lot of work and I think it's, yeah, it's only going to be fruitful for both parties if there's some reality about that up front, yeah, you know. That's an important point to bring up. So, Well, we're, we're sort of getting towards the end here. Is there <laughs> any last like final thing you would like to share with someone who's maybe in the beginning or even in the middle of their career they're sort of in a transitional phase of like i'm not quite right where i want to be but i'm close a big thing that can be really helpful at any point in your career is to find a mentor i think that is something that even if you're sort of in your mid-career it can be super helpful to to meet those goals of where you want to be and just to really name that goal i think it's okay to be fluid about it. That's something about this industry that I'm sure people come at it for a million reasons. But for me, part of it was 
the novelty of every day being a little bit different and working on different projects and being open to that. I'll add on one thing to your mentorship too, is your mentor doesn't have to necessarily be in podcast production. Like mm-hmm. find someone, like I had a mentor who did marketing and she was just so good about telling me how to manage clients. Just gave me such good information about client management, raising your rates, expecting mm-hmm. to lose some clients, but you're going to bring others on that are happy with that rate and other clients that you have will see the value in and be like, fine, yeah, raise your rates. Like, yeah, she had nothing to do with podcasting and <laughs> No, totally. amazing person that just gave me so much knowledge and information. Yeah. And to that point, I think there's so much we can learn from other industries and things like we do and do not want to emulate as an industry and looking outside of our own sphere can be really, really helpful. And especially like working with a lot of clients who are in business, that's learning more about some of the standards and practices in the business world that can be very positive and like can remind us to value our own time and value ourselves and bring that level of professional. Yeah. um, Like how to show a client, you're not a freelancer, you're a business. Mm -hmm. It's a big distinction. I no longer refer to myself as a freelancer. Yeah. I would say the same. I never say I, I mean, only to like my friends who also freelance, I'll be like, yeah, we're all freelancers, but yeah, I mean, you're self-employed and it is a lot of work outside of the actual work that goes into production, you know? So Well, if people want to contact you or follow you, how can they do that? Yeah, I have my website is aomclean.com. And I'm happy to answer questions over email or connect. I'm at aomclean at gmail.com. And then, you know, LinkedIn is is always good. Um, Find me on there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And sharing your experience and knowledge with our listeners Yeah. Thank you for having me and for making this resource again. I really think this kind of thing is so valuable and I hope people get something out of it and I'm excited to learn from it and listen to more. Thank you.